Welcome to Save Six Figures with Gina Knox, the podcast where I coach you on how to save $100,000 by optimizing your cash flow. All right. Welcome, Beth, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Before we jump in, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience and um, tell us a little bit about you? Oh, yeah. This always catches me by surprise. You'd think I would be better at this by now. My name is Beth Bowen. I live outside of Austin, Texas with my family. I've got two kids, a bunch of animals, and my background's in clinical therapy. And now I work as a sober coach for women who are looking to change their relationship with alcohol. So it's kind of a long, windy road that got me there, including my own bout of addiction and challenges with substance use. And now I've, I've found this really cool little corner of the world where I get to help people who want to change their relationship with alcohol, want to find a different way to show up in the world, and we all kind of do it together. I also, I always forget this part too, I also have a company called Sober Stories, which is a multimedia platform where we share, you guessed it, sober stories of people all across the sober spectrum doing this in different ways and recovering or being sober or reducing their use in really vibrant, eclectic ways so that in hopes of somebody being able to see themselves in a story and realize change. So I think that's the the cliff notes. <laughs> Amazing. So in the in the green room, we were talking a little bit about your business journey. Mm-hmm. So obviously these businesses are super heart-centered and close to your heart and journey. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the money side of the business mm-hmm. and that journey? I've been in the entrepreneurial world and I see this happen a lot, but a lot of heart-centered entrepreneurs coming into the space with all heart, no strategy. And that really was where I came from. You know, I have a I have a master's degree in social work. I don't know anything about finance. <laughs> I don't have a business degree. I don't have, I mean, I think I failed all of my math classes in college. And um, side note, I didn't even have to take a math class to graduate <laughs> college because I went to art school. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See? And, and so I really came into this with this deep desire to help people and to say, I, I know what I'm talking about and I know how to create this change. And I know that I can offer this beautiful offering to the world but I, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> and I'm a really quick learner. So that has really helped me a lot in entrepreneurship. But what I discovered is that I stepped into the arena. I started sharing my offerings. I started bringing in clients and in, in revenue and income. And then I didn't know what to do with the money. <laughs> I had no idea what to do with what was coming in. And so I went through a lot of cycles of and never paying myself anything and just hoarding it all in my bank account and then realizing, oh, I have all this money. Maybe I can pay myself and then draining a bank account and then not having any money to pay myself the next month. And and I had a business credit card that I was using for expenses. And sometimes I could pay that, sometimes I couldn't. And it got me really into this cycle of, I know you talk a lot about feast or famine, but also just like business debt because I didn't know how to handle the finances of it. I didn't know how to 
manage the incoming and the outgoing. And, you know, so much of the advice you get in the space is like, it's so individual. It'll be different for every person. Do what works best for you. And I'm like, I just wanted somebody to tell me what to do. <laughs> I just wanted somebody to tell me, like, give me a basic framework that I could apply to my own unique experience in my business. And I just really never found that until, I mean, you fell into my lap and have, have changed everything. But, you know, I think that that's a really common story of these heart-centered business folks who are like, I didn't come to entrepreneurship to make a bazillion dollars, although that'll be great when that happens. But I came to entrepreneurship because I have a desire to help people and to change the world and create this impact. Um, and then you're like, well, what do I do with all the rest of this? <laughs> what do I do with this money? Yeah. So it sounds like like you talked about like that feast or famine cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm hearing as well is like you you had some early success in the mm-hmm. sense that like you had money coming in. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that there was no money. It was just that kind of like when you're learning, I don't know, I'm, I'm learning how to juggle oh my God. right now <laughs> because my daughter has these like balls in her playpen and I've been juggling them. It's and so when, you're learning, when you're learning how to juggle at the beginning, you literally like spaz a little bit yeah. and just like kind of throw them and you don't really yeah. know. And I'm hearing a little bit of that. Like you had the balls, you had the mm. money, but it was just a little bit haphazard. Yeah. And and with that haphazard, it's like sometimes you throw a ball up in the air and, and you catch it. And then sometimes you throw a ball up in the air and it falls on the ground. And if it's a glass ball, it breaks. And it's like, yeah. there was no consistency. I launched my business with a high ticket program. I think it was $1,600, which for me at the time was like mind blowing. And I had 10 people join. And so suddenly I had $16,000. Did I do the math on that right? And I was like, I don't know what to do with this. And I think I paid myself almost all of it immediately. And then I had no money for the next three or four months when I wasn't launching a program. And I just didn't understand the cyclical nature of this, the the launch seasons, the saving for later on. And yeah, it just it's it's not an intuitive flow if you are not familiar with the industry. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, like you mentioned, heart-centered business coming in with this big mission, maybe not so much business background. Tell me about the credit card debt. What (laughs) happened with the credit card debt? (laughs) I'm hearing, okay, you had a $16,000 launch out the gate. And I'm sure some listeners are like, why the hell is she, how did she get credit card debt? Like Mm -hmm. she had all this money right away, right? So I mean, tell us that story. (laughs) How the hell did I get credit card debt? Putting you on the spot a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Great question. So the credit card debt came when I started my second business, Sober Stories, which is my media platform. And this vision came to me in the middle of my coaching. And it was like, I really had gotten to a place where I learned so much about the ripple effect of stories and how my story was impacting people and how my clients' stories were impacting their communities. And the the niche specifically that I work with in the sober community is people who don't get sober with the 12 steps. And that's not a common narrative in the world. And so I, I, I thought to myself, I was like, I want to tell these sober stories so that we can open more doors for people. And I was running my coaching business. I 
knew that I had good revenue from my coaching business. And so I knew I was like, I can fund the startup of this, but I want this to be like, I'm not just doing a little podcast. Like this is an entire entity. It's an entire business. We have a five-year plan. We're going to have a charitable foundation. This is a very serious startup that I'm going to fund. And so I did the thing. I, I filed the LLC. I got the business card. I got the EIN from the IRS and all of the acronyms. And I started charging. I got a website. I got branding. I got a trademark. So I started charging and knowing that these were business expenses to start up this business that was going to be this legacy business that was going to outlive me and yada, 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 yada. But those expenses start racking up really quickly. And the revenue from my coaching business was not enough to manage those expenses, plus paying me, plus taxes, plus all that stuff. And so I found myself suddenly in about $19,000 of credit card debt for this business startup. But I didn't tell my husband about it. But anyway, I found myself in about $19,000 of credit card debt for the startup of this business. And that's kind of when I came to Six Figure Saver because I was like, yikes, I got to figure something out. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my view on debt, like I'm very neutral about it. I have, I never shame people about their debt. I'm listening to you talk. I'm like, $19,000 isn't that much money. Like, (laughs) you know me, I, I, I am unfazed (laughs) by debt, but, um, I'm curious. So you didn't tell your husband Mm. and I'm hearing like, you obviously had a strategy. You were like, I'm going to start this big vision. My coaching business is going to fund it. It wasn't just like this overnight random thing. So I'm hearing that there was a strategy, but you decided not to tell your husband. And I'm curious, like, why Hmm. and how long did it take before you told him? Oh, okay. So it's like, I still have like that feeling in my chest a little bit when I think about it. But there are two stories that created that experience where I didn't feel the safety to be able to share that with my partner. And they're all my own. Can we curse on here? I don't know. <laughs> They're all my own bullshit. I'm a whole potty mouth. <laughs> okay, great. My my podcast is also listed as explicit, so great. Um, there's it's all my own bullshit. So there are two stories that were played there. The first one is when I was in active addiction, when I was drinking a bottle, bottle and a half, two bottles of wine every night. I had started racking up secret credit card debt from my partner at that point in time. This was probably 2015, um, 2016. I was impulsively spending. I couldn't stop spending. And, and in hindsight, we actually know that there's a lot of connection between impulsivity, spending, money problems with active addiction. It's like a very common through line there. But I had started racking up credit card debt and was lying about it to my partner then. And the fallout when I finally, I was sitting in our driveway, we were both in the car and I just, the shame was so overbearing and I just let it all out and like sobbing in the driveway, like telling him I had to quit drinking. And also I was hiding all this debt and it was just like a big moment in our marriage. And objectively we were fine. Like we had the funds in our personal account to be able to pay that right off. Like it, it objectively, it wasn't a problem, but the hiding it was the problem. The, the problem within our marriage was the secrecy. That was money trauma number one. And then the second story I really carried with me for a long time, and I'm probably still working on untangling, is before I started my business, I was a stay-at-home mom. 
and I wasn't bringing income. I, I, I stopped working when I had my kids and we relied on my husband's salary. And I always had this like internal feeling in my heart that <laughs> I couldn't spend the money because it wasn't my money and that I wasn't contributing to the family and that, you know, all of these, anytime I would spend money, I felt like I had to get permission. And so this idea of like, he's not going to like if I make this purchase from those days of being a stay-at-home mom, not bringing any income is is like still just kind of in the back of my brain of this like, maybe he's going to say no. Maybe he's not going to get it. Maybe he's going to, you know, say we we don't need to make that expense. And again, that's like my own bullshit. But it really shows me like how much our money stories impact the way we actually show up and the way we actually act. I think that that story of like the stay at home mom not mm-hmm. feeling like the money is theirs. Mm-hmm. I I know there's people listening to this who identify with that. Mm. Either they're entrepreneurs out and they've been through that journey or they're stay-at-home moms now and they've been through that journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I've talked to my mom about that and how mm. she has felt that way in her life. And it's it's just such a interesting like silent mm. problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that you're ever like talking about. Yeah, and I you know, I think I'm really lucky to have a partner who, if I were to tell him that, he'd be like, that's ridiculous. Absolutely not. And I think it really depends on what everyone's money story is in that relationship. We have two different money stories. And so that really started impacting my belief in like whether or not that money was mine to spend. Yeah. I like to think of money stories as like sentences in our brains. There are sentences in our brains that we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our money, about like how we – like a, a good example could be I'm an overspender. That's just mm-hmm. a sentence in your brain that you're telling yourself about how you spend. Or mm-hmm. I'm impulsive. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not a planner. Or I mm-hmm. am risk adverse. These are just sentences in our brains that we tell ourselves. We can also have money stories for other people. Mm-hmm. My husband is – Insert mm-hmm. thing here. <laughs> my mom is this. My child is that. Um, and so, so yeah. So you're saying like these money stories impacted how you felt about your debt, mm-hmm. but also how you thought maybe your husband might feel about your debt. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you just made too. That that we can create money stories for other people because I've never asked him what his money story is. <laughs> I've only ever assumed based on what I see and what I know of childhood, upbringing, all that stuff. And it just goes to show how much we can project on other people too. Because when things came to blows and never, never like blew up, but when I finally shared this business credit card debt that I was in the 19,000, his answer was like, why didn't you trust me with this? Why did you think that I wouldn't have understood that this is a business expense for a startup company that you're creating that I have the same buy-in and vision and see the future in as you do? Like, You should have trusted me with this. Um, so that I, a lot of the money story that I had created there was my own projection, was my own assumption of what he would perceive, what his thoughts were, what what his 
And back to like the stay-at-home mom thing, I think there's still pieces of this where I have to remind myself of the value of my own work and that other people see the value of my own work and that in, in – you know, I have a lot of side opinions on how stay-at-home moms are doing as much work as like seven different Probably jobs. Probably more. <laughs> so I want to backtrack. When your husband said, why didn't you trust me with this? Talk, talk to me about that instant. What went through your mind? What went through your body? What was I mean, that it's like? It's devastating. It's just devastating. It's, it's shame. It's frustration with myself and the bullshit that I create in my brain. It's like, I know that there's a breach of trust there for him as well. The fact that I didn't trust him. So, I mean, in the green room, we talked about like, sometimes in a relationship, like there are actually three people there. There's one partner, the other partner, and then money. And, and it's really felt like that in so many different seasons of our marriage that like money can be the the other woman for the both of us. And it's not always healthy and it's not always good. And so when he said like, why didn't you trust me? It just like, felt like a gut punch felt like a, oh, you're right. Why didn't I trust you? And it's, it's not his fault. It's, it's all my own, all my own stuff. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I can imagine like the stomach drop mm. moment. When you said that, that's what I experienced third hand. Mm. Um, that's interesting, though, this idea of money being the other woman. Mm. That's a really powerful statement. Mm-hmm. What does that what does that mean to you? Yeah. Or it could be the other man. We won't we won't be gendered here. But the 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 elephant in the room, the third entity in a relationship. I mean, it's it's really interesting because you've seen You've seen our spreadsheets. You've seen my spreadsheets. You know that like in reality, my family is fine. We're fine. We're healthy financially. We are not in need. Like we have good income. We have investments. And still money is like the thing that always feels like the sticking point. There's never enough. There's expenses we shouldn't have made. There's fear, there's shame, there's stress, there's worry. And it's like, you know, the the phrase like new levels, new devils, it's like the same thing. It's like, I really thought that when our net worth tracker would say what we are right now, that like money wouldn't be a thing. And yet here we are. And it's really showing me that like, this isn't a passive thing, like understanding money, feeling about money, thinking about money, seeing how it works in your life, making it work for you is not passive. It can't be passive or else it's it's that fear-based thing. It's that stress-based thing. And and I'd say we're working on it. We are, we're not whole there yet, but it's starting to become something that feels less toxic. But for a long time, no matter where we were financially, even when we were, you know, six figures in student loan debt, like it's always felt stressful in different iterations and in different ways. And it's always been this elephant in the room. What do you think has been the the thing or things that you have done or said that have helped repair some of that? Some of that, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> all of that. Um, you know, I think the first piece is like radical honesty, just like having to be honest about it and having to like have the hard conversations because they're usually not as hard as you expect them to be too. So that has been useful. But like 
truly when I when I go back to this idea of I started this heart-based business and had no idea what I was doing with my money and what I did after the fact when I I I learned your owner's pay system and it has completely shifted all of the rest of the way my money moves. It has given me the information with how with a very simple formula to be able to understand how to pay myself and how to save money for the famine months and then not put stuff on my credit card and then not get in business credit card debt and then not have to hide things. No, let me back up and not feel like I have to hide things from my partner. And like that snowball effect that was all starting from this problem of not really knowing what to do with my money that I made. And that has been something that has really streamlined and simplified the process. It made it so clear, like owner's pay, pay yourself, expenses, everything left goes to the OPEX. I tried profit first for like four or five months before I found Six Figure Saver. And I never once was able to do profit first. Like I never successfully did it because it was so unintuitive and it didn't feel like a good fit for my business. Of Sometimes I would make $16,000 in a lounge and then sometimes I would make $800 in a month if I was like off payment plans or whatever. And so I literally never once successfully implemented profit first. And profit first, even in itself, it's like, you're like, oh, it's so simple. And then you do it. You're like, actually, this is pretty complicated. So the simplicity of owner's pay, owner's, yeah, owner's pay system was really what made it, it first off easy to implement because it was like, I could do it the second I started six figure saver and then has made things work and flow from there. I don't know. They, yeah, no, it's it's funny because like a lot of people come to me with profit first. Mm-hmm. It's a really common, seemingly simple cash flow management system. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, it's a really bad fit for coaches, mm-hmm. like the entire coaching industry. And it doesn't matter how much money you're making either. And yeah. I actually might venture to say it's a bad fit for any entrepreneur. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, I read the book. I really like the philosophy yeah. and the idea behind it. It's nothing bad to say about the guy who wrote that book. But um, the reason is, is it literally keeps you in feast or famine because the general idea is pay yourself 50% of the money that comes in that month. And like you said, like, that might be a lot of money and that might be nothing. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. Business cash flow will always be irregular. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with the fact that you had a $16,000 launch and then an $800 month. That's normal. But with Profit First, that kind of extends that um, that feast or famine experience to your personal life because then your owner's pay is feast or famine. And what I love about owner's pay system is that it it makes no problem of the fact that cash flow is irregular but then your experience as an individual in your personal finances gets to be even. And I feel like, yes, our th- we get to choose our thoughts and our feelings about any circumstance, but some circumstances are easier to feel good about. <laughs> to well, your point and- about like the, the owner's pay system helping you not be in credit card debt, mm-hmm. that, that makes it easier. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, it made me think the first month I came into Six Figure Saver, I was like, I'm going to do owner's pay next month. I'm not going to pay myself this month. I'm going to work on that credit card debt. I'm not going to deal with that. And you're like, why are you doing that? And I was like, 
because I should. And you're like, no, I want you to pay yourself. That is such a, that (laughs) word should. Ooh, that is a real sneaky word. I I mean, and, and, you know, that kind of touches on your debt neutrality work, which like blew my mind, but it's really interesting. The, and, 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 the, I don't remember your exact phrasing in there, but like what I got from you in that was like, trust the process, it works. And then like four months later, okay, Gina, you were right. It all worked out fine. But it's, it's yeah, there are a lot of shoulds. There are a lot of shoulds in my money story, especially with debt, especially with credit card debt. I, and if we want to talk about real money stories, I think about the time my parents told me the horrible story of the time they got in credit card debt and how I should never do that. And that's like the origin of that. And and it's interesting to like when you are like, okay, this is where this comes from, but this is how it's still showing up in my life. Yeah. These money stories, y'all. Mm. I have a, an entire um, training in Six Figure Saver called uh, the learned behaviors from our parents and guardians. Mm-hmm. I would say most money stories originate in our childhoods by the stories totally. our parents have told us about money. Totally, is real pervasive. And sometimes we don't <laughs> even we don't even remember until we start investigating, and then we're like, "Oh my god, it's been here all along! Mm. <laughs> like it's literally been here from the beginning." I had a client the other day who was like, "I don't want to talk about the childhood stuff because." I think that's woo-woo. And I was like, no, it's 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 real. Even with alcohol, we're going to talk about the childhood stuff. <laughs> I relevant. mean, and you're like a clinical therapist. It's it's in your oh, brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. In your brain. <laughs> that is one of the most frustrating things about being a therapist, being a coach, being a mental health professional. It's like, I, I know this stuff. And it still shows up in my life as it does. All of us. This is mm. all of us. We all – All of us. We, this is why like everybody needs coaching. Everyone needs yes. a coach because we're all gonna I'm, – I'm getting like <laughs> flustered because I even think about myself like and how my coach calls me out and it's like, yeah, yes. I could have done that for myself, but no, I need someone mm-hmm. else, a third party to tell me. But we're really good at teaching other people. <laughs> we are. We're really good at teaching. We're really good at coaching. Not so good at looking in the mirror. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. I want to go way back because, uh, we went on a whole tangent. Yeah. Um, I'm known to do that. Me too. It's okay. I like tangents, but, um, so we were talking about your debt and your husband and Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what was like the final straw. Why did you tell him? Like you had been hiding the secret. Yeah. You've been hiding the secret for so long. I'm assuming it didn't feel good to hide the secret. And I'm assuming it didn't feel that great to tell him either. No. What what was the trigger to finally? I still like it's like making me sweat a little bit thinking about Aww. it. Um, the trigger is he asked me. I'm a terrible liar. I'm a terrible liar. Me too. And we hadn't talked about my business finances in months. It was just you know money was coming in and I was working a lot and that was it. And then he asked me. He goes, "What's like how's how's sober stories going? What's like the money situation? And I was just like, let me tell you everything. And it was awful. I mean, it was awful. It's it's awful. It's really hard to talk about money, especially when in and I've reflected a lot about this. And and for me, like part of my sobriety is like honesty and integrity and like being in integrity with how I'm acting. And this was such a contradiction to that, that it was like physically painful. It was like physically painful. It was 
just full of shame. And so, of course, when it comes out, it just feels awful. But yeah, he asked me and I, I was like, oh my God, let me tell you everything. It's funny. I've been thinking a lot about avoidance lately mm-hmm. and how money avoidance is one of the most active things. Oh. Like oh. it's it's this huge weight. Yes. Like avoiding your money makes you think about money all, all day time. long. All the time. <laughs> like versus when you finally confront it, whatever it takes to, you know, get over that wall, when you finally heal, whatever. It's so interesting how that brain space mm. just goes away. Like I, yeah. I rarely think about money anymore. Mm-hmm. But I remember being, I had my own credit card avoidance story after college. Oh my God, I would get the emails from Capital One <laughs> and like like put my phone away. I yeah. was like so I wouldn't even open my phone. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm really gonna light quickly. this on Yeah, I'm gonna light this on fire so I don't yeah. have to think. So about I don't have this. to see yeah. the stupid capital. Not even like the emails subject line didn't even have a number. It would just say capital one and I'd be yeah. like, oh my God, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I would think about it all the time. Oh and my God. Then- what was your Instagram post the other day that was like but at least I'm not afraid to check my bank account. Oh yeah, I had what was it? I'm I'm really afraid of heights. Yeah. At least I'm not afraid to check my bank account. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, but that's and, so true. And I mean, but that was a journey for myself as well, and now that I've that was a while ago now and I've obviously like gotten over that. It's it's just amazing how much I think about money less and how mm. yeah, for people who are in money avoidance, y'all are carrying a real mm. heavy bag. That's a well, really heavy bag. We I have a we have a similar kind of parallel in sobriety of folks who are quote unquote moderating, who are trying to moderate their drinking, who are trying to drink less. They they feel that they are in maladaptive drinking patterns and they want to drink less, they want to moderate, they should be able to moderate. And they are thinking about moderation. All the time. They're thinking about drinking all the time. They are paying attention to if they're drinking too much, if they're drinking more than Sally Sue, if some so-and-so is noticing, when's the next time they get to drink, what are the rules, what are the guidelines? And and we call that the mental gymnastics of that. That's a that's a really heavy energetic load. And so it's the same thing. It's like this avoidance of and, and the parallel there is sometimes if you just don't drink at all, you think about it a lot less and it's it takes it off the table and it's it's less mental gymnastics. But you're right, like the energetic load of like having this avoidance, having this secret, thinking about it all the time, wondering when it can go away, like how do you get out of it? And what we know about credit card debt is that it's very hard to get out of. Well, actually, let me that's that's maybe I just said a story. Maybe I just said a story. That was a little story. That was a, that little, was a story. little story. Okay. I'm see, we're like learning in active <laughs> real time. It's just a here. sentence in your brain. It's okay. That's a sentence <laughs> in my brain and I do not gift that to anybody listening to this. But, I'm sure other people were like, yeah, it is. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 a lot. And in so much of my work, we I talk about the body battery a lot. And it's our mental, our physical, and our emotional energy. And that means mental is a third of your like body's energetic energy. That's repetitive. But when you're using a third of it to think about money all the time, like that's a lot of brain power that you're wasting on on something that you could be doing a lot more good in the world with. And it's it's literally like calories. Your brain burns mm-hmm. so many calories. So yeah, I'm like do I want my calories to go to me worrying about my credit card debt or do I want to like make more money yeah. or market or do something right. else? <laughs> Enjoy well, my day. I, I think when I talk about like 
mean coach Sheena, that has been one of the things that you've really shown me in the the coaching that we've done is like when I am in debt avoidance, when I am in stress about money, when I am feeling scarcity of like, quote unquote, not enough is coming in, you've asked me, okay, what are, what's the outcome of that? What's the act, reaction to that thought process? What's the reaction to that fear? And the reaction is, well, I'm obsessing over my Stripe account. I'm doing mental math in my head to figure out how, who I'm going to rob Peter to pay Paul and I'm stressing and I'm I'm avoiding I'm burning those grain calories but I'm not out I'm not out sharing my offers. I'm not out making any more money. I'm not out doing income. So that's been a really revolutionary switch for me to take of like all right, so this this feels this way. What am I going to do about it? What is the actual result of that thought? Absolutely. All right. I want to know from you in our last couple minutes here. First like for listeners who are listening to you speak and they're just like nodding their head and like, <laughs> yes, this is me, whether it's the credit card debt or the avoidance or the money stories or the relationship stuff, what what advice do you have for that person in that moment, like in the depths of it? Oh, man. I mean, hire Gina. <laughs> or, you know, I think it comes back to honesty for me of like just being radically honest with the people that are involved, yourself, and doing so with the belief that like it'll all work out, but you got to get honest about it and you got to get serious about it. Money's not a passive thing. Like you got to get serious about it. You got to get honest about it. And that's when the good work starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like too, especially in that dark moment, being honest with yourself and also kind, right? Mm. Like how can you be honest with yourself and take a look at it and then have a care plan? Mm, <laughs> Sometimes totally. it, it really takes that much like, okay, I'm going to look at my bank account or I'm going to pay the credit card bill and then I'm going to go for a walk or then mm. I'm going to do like literally plan your care plan out if if it's causing that much emotional distress. Yeah. Okay. Final question. So Beth is a part of Six Figure Saver, our 12-month financial mentorship program. If you were to, you know, wave your wand and invite the type of person who you think is a really good fit for the program, who would that be? Who should join? Oh my God. Okay. All of the heart-centered entrepreneurs out there because we come in with the impact and the mission and the drive and the desire to do good, but we're lacking a lot of the strategy. And that's not not our fault. It's nobody's fault. But money especially benefits from strategy, at least in my experience. And I mean, I think that this has built the complete foundation for what I do with the finance side of my business entirely. Yeah. I mean, we want you to be out in the world spreading your mission, right? I think about like my my work has all these amazing ripple effects. If I can help you stay in business, if I can help mm-hmm. your business grow and then you, by extension, help more people become sober or mm-hmm. you know, heal their relationship with alcohol, that's net-net good. Yeah. So we want you to win because we want everyone else to win. Beth is donating $10,000 to Abortion Fund in Texas through her launch of Booze Breakup, which is her program. Um, and even if that fundraiser is over, if you are feeling called to 
redefine your relationship with alcohol. Take a look at what's going on. <laughs> Go yeah. check out Beth. So Beth, tell us where we can find you. Okay. Um, Instagram's where it's at. You can find me at Bethbone underscore Sober Stories is at We Are Sober Stories on Instagram. Um, you can also find me at BethBowen.co. That's my website with all of my coaching offerings. I have one-on-one coaching. I have the Boost Breakup, which is my group course and my private community. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Beth. Thank you, Gina. All right.